Effective Living with Reverend Henry Hubert. May you be blessed as you listen. Now, the message. Lord, you Continuation of my teaching on how to plant your life in the hands of Jesus. I felt led by the Spirit to, act, to teach more on how to be properly planted in God's house because I realized that it is one area that um, many, many Christians miss it and make a lot of mistakes. The scripture we've been looking at is 1 Timothy 3, from verse 14. 1 Timothy 3, verse 14. He said, These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. Paul said, I am writing to you because there is something very important that I don't want you to make mistakes about. He said, it's so important. And that very important thing is you must know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. How to conduct yourself in the house of God. There's a way and manner you conduct yourself in the house of God, you get blessed. You, you enjoy great benefits so that you don't remain in church for a long time. You see people blessed all the time. You see people sharing testimonies. You see people that you were here before they came. Their lives are changing. They are moving forward. And you don't have anything to show for your going to church. Church is not a religion. It's not just religion. It's not just about belonging to a religious group and just go to... No, church is about coming to worship God so that you can be discipled. You can be discipled. And then you can be ministered to. And when you are properly discipled and ministered to, you can now get yourself involved in evangelism. And evangelism is in two dimensions. The first one is your life itself compelling people to want to come to church. Because there are people who get to watch you over the years and they just decide that based on what is happening in your life, they also want to go to church. Yeah. The second dimension is when you yourself get yourself involved in inviting people to church and talking to people about Jesus. So there is a purpose for, for which Jesus established the church. It is so that children of God will come and worship. Everybody say worship. And be discipled and ministered to. You know, when Jesus lived on the earth, one of the things you see him do all the time, was he kept teaching and teaching and teaching. But at the same time, too, you see him praying for people. People come to him with needs. He prayed for them, never left them the same. Because the two go together. Discipleship is about people coming to give their life to Jesus and becoming followers of Christ. Learning how to develop your spiritual life to become like Jesus. So we come to church to worship, to be discipled, to be ministered to, so that we can get ourselves involved in evangelism, 
in fellowshipping with one another as a family in, in the house of God, getting involved in praying for the church, and then as God begins to bless you, you become a blessing to others and also to the church. That is what church is about. That is the purpose for which church exists. So at the end of the day, your life must get better as you go to church. Your life must get better. If it is not getting better, we have to probably trace it to this scripture verse. How you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. How you ought to conduct yourself. There's a way and manner you need to conduct yourself. You don't go to church, live anyhow, and get blessed by God. No, it doesn't happen that way. It doesn't happen that way, that way. There's a way and manner. I want to show you a scripture in Luke chapter 5, verse 17. He said, now it happened on a certain day as Jesus was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Then, behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the, the tiling into the midst before Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said to him, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and, and go to your house. Immediately, the man rose up before them, took up what he had been lying on, and departed to his house, his own house, glorifying God. The man was healed instantly. But, the, I mean, look at verse uh, 17. The Bible said that Jesus was what? Teaching. What was he doing? He was teaching. But whilst he was teaching, the Bible says that the power of God was present to heal. So the power of God was moving, looking for people. But then the Bible also said there were some particular people, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And if you study the ministry of Jesus, you realize that these are people who never believed in Jesus. They're always criticizing him. They're always finding fault with, his, with, with everything he did. And you said, they don't believe him, so why are they there? They were looking for faults to validate their disbelief in him. They were looking for mistakes that Jesus would make that will make them confirm to the Jews that Jesus was not the son of God. And when Jesus said to that man who was sick, your sins are forgiven you, immediately nobody complained except the Pharisees. <laughs> because that's what they were there for. They didn't come to receive anything. They didn't come to be blessed. Said, and the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, who is it that speaks blasphemies? Somebody is receiving miracle. <laughs> Somebody who has never walked all his life. They desperately wanted that man to be healed, that they had to tear the roof of the house where Jesus was and lower him down through the roof because the entrance was blocked. Every place was jammed. 
Yeah. And the reason why the place was jammed because people could testify that Jesus was bringing solution to people's lives. But there were also guys who were sitting down and they never believed in him and they never received anything. All through Jesus' ministry, the Pharisees and the scribes, they never, they were following him everywhere he goes, marking his everything. They never received anything. And so I am believing God that your going to church will not be in vain. That you must go to church and your going to church must show evidence. Yeah, must, your going to church must give you testimonies that makes your life, you know, a testimony to people who knew you before. That church is a good place to go. That God is alive and that he's faithful. But in order for that to happen, the scripture says that there's a way you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. And Apostle Paul said, when I say the house of God, I mean the church of the living God. The church of the living God. First Timothy 3.14. The church of the living God. And last Sunday I said that it is to indicate that when you come to church, you've come to a God who is alive. He's not dead. He can see, he can hear, he can speak, and he can work. And he's always working. As I'm teaching right now, he's working in the lives of people. And I pray that you'll be one of them. The church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. In other words, if you can't find truth anywhere, church is a place when you enter, you should find the truth. Because only the truth can set you free. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Only the truth can set you free. And only in the house of God. Because God's word, God's word is that truth. God is not a man to lie. When he speaks, he speaks the truth. Now, how do I conduct myself properly so that I can enjoy maximum blessings in the house of God? The first one, who can remember? I'm hearing... Who can remember? The first one is what? Go to church for the right reasons. Amen. Don't be like a Pharisee. Don't be like a Sadducee. Don't be like a scribe. Be a disciple. Be a disciple. Go to church because you want to worship God. You want to be discipled. You want to be ministered to. You want God to work a work in your life, make your life better. You go to church because you want to be a part, being used by God to reach others, you know, for the kingdom. Go to church for the right reasons. The second one is what? Pray for your church. Amen? How many of us are praying for your church? One of the ways to get blessed greatly is... You must learn how to pray for your church. If you are busy praying for your church, you won't have anything to criticize. Let's take some more today. Number three, follow up on number two. Pray for your pastor. Second Thessalonians 3 verse 1. Second Thessalonians 3 verse 1. Then finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you. Verse 2. And that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. Wow. For not all have faith. This is Apostle Paul. He was writing to the church in Thessalonica. And he said, after all the things he taught them and wrote and wrote and wrote, before he concluded his letter, he said, finally, another last thing, one important thing, pray for us. You know, it's interesting when you read all of the writings of Paul, you always see him asking for prayer. 
from the same church he planted, from the same people he led them to Christ, he taught them. Some of them, they were sick, he prayed for them to be healed. But now he told them, pray for us. Pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified. Satan's agenda is to bring the every man of God to the place where they cannot preach the word properly. That they cannot preach the word properly. And that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. There are people who believe in making the word, the ministry work, hell for men of God. Unreasonable people. That means their thinking is skewed. Unreasonable people. People who are not straightforward in their thinking. Paul said they are unreasonable men. They think, but they don't think well. One way to be unreasonable is you think you are wiser than your pastor, and yet you still go and listen to him every week. <laughs> you know I'll never do that. All the people I listen to, I believe they know more than me. I listen every week on podcast. I listen to Pastor Eric every week on podcast. I listen to Pastor Kujo every week on F Live. And then with other men of God I listen to, I believe they know more than I do. They know things I don't know. Have you ever seen somebody going to school to go and sit down for a teacher who is not as educated as the students to teach him? Have you ever seen that? Yeah, but, but church people do that. There are people who come to church and think pastors are stupid. They, they don't have sense. They can't think well. That's an example of being unreasonable. Yeah. Another being unreasonable is I don't trust pastors. So why are you going to church? It's like saying I don't try, I don't trust doctors, and yet you go to hospital. If you don't trust pastors, why don't you become one on yourself? If you want to be a very reasonable person, you know what to do. Find a pastor you believe is wiser than you. He knows more than you can teach you of God and move your life forward. Join that church. Then you can receive. Find a church where the pastor, you can trust him. You can trust him. If you don't trust me, you shouldn't be here. You shouldn't be here. Nothing is going to happen in your life. You'll never be blessed. You'll just be struggling. Another way of being unreasonable is you want your pastor to be praying for you all the time. Pastor, pray for us. Pastor, more prayer. More, more prayer. And yet you don't wish your pastor well. You know, all my life as a pastor, I've, I've seen Christians who don't just wish their pastor well. When a pastor is suffering, so it's a sacrificial job. When a pastor is prospering, they're angry. There are Christians when they see a pastor prosper. Even if it's not their manual, not like the pastor came to take their money. They are still annoyed. Some people believe footballers can be rich. Doctors can be rich. Even comedians have a right to be rich. But pastors should be poor. But a comedian is performing. People pay to go and watch. It is out of that money the comedian makes his money. If a doctor is practicing in the hospital, people pay bills, including poor people. There is no hospital. They say, oh, you, you are poor. Go home. No, they will keep you. Your family members must come and pay. They, you will pay. But when you come to church, why should poor people be in the church and the pastor be driving car? Why should poor people be in the church and the pastor be wearing nice shoe? <laughs> that shoe the pastor is wearing, do you know the price? Look at all the poor people. No, the poor people are here. It's not me alone who must take care of all of them. All of us must take care of them. And tell you what, the best way to help the poor is not give them money every day. It's do the things I'm doing. I don't want you to remain a beggar all your life. People give you, dash you, money, which will finish. Listen, my understanding about money is that when people dash it to you, it will finish. 
and reasonable people. Why should a pastor have a car? A footballer is playing. Nobody goes to watch free. You pay. Even if you want to watch it at home, you must pay a subscription in order to watch. Out of the monies they are paying at the, this thing, they pay them. And they pay them very big. And we say, oh, it's their talent. They are using their talent. But a pastor goes to school, studies a lot, reads a lot. He's teaching people to become prosperous. He's teaching people to become you know, better citizens in the society. He's teaching people to become good people. Everybody believes they should not prosper. That's unreasonable. Turn to neighbor and tell him, don't be unreasonable. I'm lift your right and say, I'm not unreasonable. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at you. I believe you are not unreasonable. <laughs> Another way of being unreasonable is God is using a man of God to be a great blessing to your life. You are prospering. You know, this man's prayers is helping me, yet you neglect him. Is it reasonable? It's not reasonable. You know, you know, one of the things that surprised me in this church is that people call me on their birthdays for prayer. People also come to me after church. Pastor, today's my birthday. Pray for me. But there are many of such people I know. They don't know my birthday. If you like, let's try it. Don't you think it's a serious thing? No, I should pray for you on my birthday. On your birthday. But you don't know my birthday. Even if you know, you don't care. Is it a reasonable thing to do? Yeah. Paul said that we may be delivered from unreasonable men. And then not only unreasonable men, wicked men. That is another level. Wicked people want to sabotage their pastor. Wicked people sit down and conspire against their pastor. Wicked people want to destroy their pastor. Wicked people want to kill their pastor. Wicked people, every now and then, pastors are going through all manner of very, very, very serious acrimony and threats to their lives. And the sad thing is sometimes it comes from church people, not worldly people. The greatest enemies of every pastor is in are Christians. Because of that, Apostle Paul said, pray for us. Keep praying for us. You see, when somebody is in the ministry doing the work of God, that person's life is always on Satan's radar. That person's life comes under the direct threats of the kingdom of darkness. That person's life becomes very important to Satan. Satan has interests. That's why I tell people, if you say God has called you, ministry is not preaching. Ministry is not preaching. Ministry is warfare. Whether you like it or not, from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed, even in your sleep, you are still at war. You are still at war. Ministry is warfare. It's, it's not a joke. Yeah, Satan hates men of God more than any other people on earth and is doing everything to incite people, to provoke people, to fight against men of God, to fight against men of God, destroy their reputation, destroy their credibility, destroy everything they have. And the sad thing about every good man of God is that we don't have time to pray for ourselves. We're always praying for members. We're always praying for the church. Most people believe the pastor is a prayer machine who must never get tired. Sometimes we close from, like last Sunday, I was tired because even the heat make it, made it worse. I was tired, not only tired, hungry. And yet people will come after church, one after the other, one after the other. Sometimes, sometimes after church, I sit down here for like two hours, sometimes three hours, sometimes four hours. And we'll be tired, the pastor, if you are telling people, please wait, I want to rush in 
and eat and come back. So some people will be annoyed. So I sit. What can I do? Some people don't understand that. I say, our pastor will say, he wants to eat and come back and attend. Hey, I close. I'm waiting for pastor. He says he's going to eat before he come and listen to us. What kind of pastor is this? He can't control his hunger small. He can't control himself small. This small thing, I want to talk to him. You have to go and sit down and eat before he come and listen to me. Sometimes I tell you the truth. Like recently it happened. Somebody was talking to me for over 45 minutes, one person. I was so tired, I wasn't, I wasn't hearing what the person was saying. <laughs> if I say, let's talk about another time, it will be trouble, so I'm just sitting there. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying don't come for, to see me after church. I'm just saying that I'm human. That's all I'm saying. So you, I'm human. I pray, all pastors pray for the, all good pastors pray for the congregation all the time. Sometimes one thing that I, I see about a member, the next three days I will not eat because of one member, because of one member. God has to suspend all my eating arrangements for, the, for three days. Hallelujah. <laughs> I, I didn't hear that. <laughs> Sometimes I want to sleep and, and have good rest. The Lord woke me up with one dream, and then I had to start praying. Yesterday night, I was praying, and I had a call from one of my sons. I love him so much. When we finished talking, I couldn't sleep again. I couldn't sleep again. Because there are things when you hear it, you cannot sleep. If you sleep, then you, something's wrong. I was so touched. My pastors, do you know that this month, I said, last week of November, we are doing seven days fasting. Is that not it? Yes. I am fast, been fasting since uh, the beginning of the month, and all the pastors are supposed to be fasting. <laughs> I'm hoping they are doing it. <laughs> I believe they are doing it. They are, they are good people. They are, let's clap for our pastors. I believe they are doing it. I said all of them plus myself, this month, we are praying for the church. That's what we do. Most of the time, if you pass here in the night, especially Wednesdays and Thursdays, you see our cars here. We are praying the night. Ask them how many times, you know. All the prayer is about the church members. Praying that God will prosper you and God will bless you and do that. You see, most pastors don't have time to pray for themselves, their families, their children. Most pastors don't have the time. The needs of the church is too much. Fridays, I pray six hours every Friday. Most of the times, I finish and realize that I didn't have any time to pray for myself or for my wife and my children. That is why it's important for the church to also know how to pray for their pastor. Are you understanding? You have to know how to pray for your pastor. The Bible said in the book of Acts chapter 12 that when Peter was arrested, you know, one of the things I thank God for is that the church, in Acts chapter 12, I think verse 5, the church didn't say, oh, if he's truly a man of God, how could, how could he be arrested? I'm sure if it was today, you know, I know this church will not do that. If it was some other churches, you know, sometimes a man of God will have a, a challenge, a crisis. Instead of people standing and praying, they will say, oh, maybe he has fallen. Some people even believe men of God cannot be sick. How many believe so? If you are really anointed, you cannot be sick. Men of God fall sick. 
Most of the men of God you see strong, doing great things. You don't know the things they are battling. About four years ago, Pastor Benihin had a severe heart problem. He was in the hospital for two weeks. He almost died, sending prayer to the whole world. In fact, he put, he put a picture on Facebook, himself lying on the, in the hospital, and he said, pray for me. Now, when you talk about healing in the world, is number one. If you talk about healing, if you pass that man, I don't think, uh, if that man pray for you, don't get healed, I think your, your case is... <laughs> Men of God are human. They go through challenges. They go through difficulties. They get attacked by the devil. The Bible says, strike the shepherd and the flocks will scatter. Strike the shepherd and the flock will scatter. So Satan's target is the shepherd. But it is not because he has, the shepherd has any, done anything. He wants to scatter the flocks. If Satan can get me so overwhelmed with problems, I cannot focus and pray for you. I cannot be sensitive enough spiritually to pick up things that are coming against members. You know, I cannot be happy to open my heart and freely allow the grace of my life to flow and bless people. You see, they can bring me to that place. Many, 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 many bad things will start happening in the church. So the Bible said Peter was kept in prison. Yeah, I'm talking about a man. When he's walking, his shadow was healing the sick. But one day he was arrested. When a man of God is going through a challenge, it's not because he's not anointed. It is because he is human before God anointed him. He's human. But I like that church in Jerusalem. I like that. I pray that life gates will be like that church. Amen. There are people, they are only waiting to hear that something has happened to me, something bad. Those people didn't come to church today. There are people, there are members in every church who are just waiting to hear something bad has happened to the pastor. And they say, ah, see, see the things we've been saying. See these days, these pastors. We can't trust them. We don't even know what I, he has done that will cause him to be arrested and put in prison. We have, to, we have to be careful about these things. We have to be careful. They start talking and grumbling and, 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 you know, and saying all the negative things. I don't like engaging conversation, negative conversation about any man of God. I don't like that. Listen, yeah, I don't like people to come to me telling me negative things about, you know, this. You know, there are some people, every man of God in the world, they know something negative about him. What are you expecting? There is no man of God, true man of God, that you, don't, you won't hear something negative about. God left it there to make us always know we are not God. We are human. Yes, yes. God has his way to making me know, Hubert, I'm still a human being. So you can always hear the best things about me all the time. But it's because of hypocrisy. That is why you are talking about mine, forgetting that yours is worse than mine. Once so something is there. Once so it's not like you there, you are angel and I'm human. Me and you now, we are human. So instead of minding your own business, let me also mind my own. Now my own has become your own. You have left your own, take my own as my own as your own. You are talking about it, but but you said you are a man of God, so we need to talk about you. But this church, they heard that their pastor, the head of the church, has been arrested. They said, no, we will not let him die. We will not let him die in the prison. We will not let him die. He said, we are going to pray. And the Bible said, constant prayer, not once a while. 
constant, like it was serious. It was serious. It was very serious. See, when you pray for your church, when you pray for your pastor, he comes back to you. You enjoy the benefits. Constant prayers was offered to God for him by the church. By what? The church. The whole church. The whole church. The whole church. How many people would really fast if I said this week, I want the whole church to fast and pray for me? Just one day. I'm telling you, people won't do it. Oh, yeah, fasting. I'm a pastor. I know I'm going to you I don't know where. I don't want to be here fasting. What want to be here fasting. I'm very fasting, my pastor. Some people won't do it, I'm telling you. Some people will not do it. I know them. <laughs> Let me tell you one interesting thing. You know, my, my, on June 30th, I call all the pastors I've brought up, all of them. I said, we are fasting. Every birthday, I fast myself alone. But this one, it was important, so I call all of them. I think we fasted for how many days? Three days. I said, all of them should fast and pray for me. Some didn't do it. So how do you know? The, the, the night I met them were praying here, I knew some did not do it. I'm talking about pastors I brought up. Some of them, I paid their fees. Some of them stayed in my home. I did everything for them to become pastors. I brought all of them. I said, you need to fast and pray for me. 30th June, in the night, I brought all of them here. We're praying at, uh, how do you call it? In the night, up to midnight. And I said they should break it in the evenings, but I, I did not break it. You see, and by the time I stay for three days without eating, there's nothing you come close to me, I can't pick it up. Uh-uh. So as we were praying, I was shocked to realize that some of them did not do the fast. I said, wow, human beings, this work, if you don't have heart, go and do something else. But your heart will break. Your heart will break. People you love and you sacrifice, they will hurt you. <laughs> I have not said it before like I'm saying it today because they are not here. <laughs> but I'm still praying for them every day. What can I do? Constant prayers was made by the church for him. Look at verse 6. And when Herod was about to bring him out that night, Peter was sleeping. What else can he do? Peter said, well, all, all, all die be die. If, if this is the end of the road for me, so be it. He slept. Sometimes... Don't you think a pastor who is so tired, overworked, should just sleep whilst the church prays? The book of Proverbs says that he that keeps the fig tree will eat the fruit of it. Yeah, yeah, that's it. So if I'm fine, see your benefit. Today, I'm here. I'm ready to pray for you. If I was sick, I hope, will I be able to pray for you? So if I am well, it is to your benefit. You have to learn to pray for your pastor. You have to learn. They were about to kill him. Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him and a light shot in prison. And he struck Peter on the, on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his feet. Wow. In response to the prayer of the church, God sent an angel to rescue Peter. 
so that he can come and continue being a blessing to the same church. Verse 8. Then the angel said to him, get yourself and tie your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him and he did not know that what he saw was done by the angel was real, but he thought he was seeing a vision. When they were past the first and second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of his own accord. And they went out and went down the street and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, now I know that for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together doing what? So at the time God was delivering Peter, prayer was still going on in a house belonging to a woman by name Mary. This woman was the mother of John Mark. John Mark is the one who wrote the Gospel of Mark. That house is where the disciples met all the time. That was where Jesus had the last supper with his disciples. It was in the same house that the Holy Ghost came on the day of Pentecost. In fact, that house is now the upper room. It's, 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 it's there up to now. I've been there. They've preserved it in Israel. Peter went. Now, why did he go? Because he knew that's where he would meet the disciples. When he got there, prayer was ongoing. Hot prayer was ongoing. Serious prayers were going. He said, Lord, our pastor will not die in this prison. Our pastor must not die in this prison. If it was today, some people would say, die, die, die. <laughs> die by fire. Die by fire. <laughs> Pastor Bonnie, die by fire. <laughs> die. <laughs> I know you don't do that. Yeah, but some people wish their pastor should die. Some church members wish their pastor should die. Yeah, to the Bismarck. He said his secretary was poisoning his tea for two years. I mean, I heard it before. She said, he said it at Greater Works. He said, two years, the, the secretary was poisoning his teeth. People are wicked, though. <laughs> yeah, people were gathered there praying. And as Peter knocked the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. I'm sure she was the usher in charge of the gate. Sometimes it's good to be at the gate, but your name will just appear in the Bible. <laughs> when she recognized Peter's voice, she recognized her pastor's voice. Because of her gladness, she did not open the gate but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gates. She was so excited. She forgot to open the gate. She ran to the prayer leader. Oh, prayer answered. <laughs> prayer answered. But they said to her, you are beside yourself. Like, you are mad. Like, they didn't believe the prayer would be answered so quick. Yeah, she kept insisting that it was so. So they said, it is his angel. They didn't believe it was Peter himself who would be at the gate because maximum security in Herod's prison for you to come out my question is, why were they praying? They didn't have anything else to do but to pray. But God answered their prayer. But for a minute, they did not believe. Now Peter continued knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. I'm sure from that time, they will never, ever, ever stop praying. I want us to end it here today. Hope you've been blessed by today's message. You can contact Reverend Hubert on 030-340-7970 or 024-33-11201. Remain blessed.